0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
1: Hello and good evening. I am Amanda Houle your host, Parenting with a Punch Show. Thank you for joining us. I have a special guest this evening, Eric Newton, the founder of Together, which is a podcast as well as a magazine. So I'm super excited to bring him on. He is a former, and we are live. Yay! He is a former family divorce okay, lawyer. Eric oh. Newton, the founder of Sorry, Okay. All right. Let's introduce and say hello. Hello, Eric. How are
0: you? Hey, Amanda. I'm so good. Hi. Hello, everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So talk, talk to our audience. I'd love to hear. Um, so you are a former family divorce lawyer. So tell me, tell me all about that and how you got into creating uh, together.
0: Oh man! Well, the all about it's a long story. Are you sure you want the whole thing?
1: <laughs> hey, give it to me. I, I'm sure our audience would love. I mean, whatever you're comfortable with, of course.
0: <laughs> well, I will. I'm comfortable with anything, and I will tell you that the whole thing about divorce law is that while it's extremely important for society, I have to say I think it is important. You know, people should be able to get divorced if they need to, and when they do it, they should be able to do it healthfully. Uh, While that's true, it is really a difficult place to work in. It's just a Mm -hmm. difficult space to be in. And uh, I feel like I did my time. I learned what there was to learn. And then, boy, I washed out.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's extremely draining.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's the and specifically what's draining about it is the constant process of managing people's transference you know there's there's so much emotion going back and forth in both directions between you know attorney and client in a way that if you know the thing about attorneys is we're trained to deal with the law but we're not trained really to deal with people's emotions mm. it's a completely different universe and it's one that i find a lot more fulfilling but in the legal context it's just it's a balancing act that it, you know it took it out of me so it was I, I'm grateful to have done it. And I'm glad to have moved on.
1: Right. Absolutely. No. And you had quite a few accolades when, when you were in that line of work. So you want to talk to a few, uh, sorry, excuse me. Talk to us a few about that. And then maybe like how that sort of like streamlined into doing the work that you're doing now.
0: Um, Yeah. You know, in terms of accolades in the legal world, we were, I was rated as a super lawyer several years running and, I had great ratings on AVO, which is a lawyer rating website. And, um, you know, I was well respected in the community. We had the largest and also the fastest growing family law firm in the Bay Area at the time. And uh, so, you know, it was a successful thing. It was, it was good. I think we did good work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were making money. So I probably would have just stayed, even though I knew it wasn't super fulfilling for me. Right. My uh, law partner got up to some hijinks and uh, which I won't go into all the details here, <laughs> but his hijinks had the result of taking our firm under and we lost everything. Wow. And Went from, you know, this great success that was super acknowledged in the community to losing everything. And I mean everything. <laughs> wow. And the the, the um, drop from that one place to the other place was so, it was so dramatic uh, that it caused, you know, it caused a lot of anger and depression and um, a lot of introspection, which I think ultimately was extremely valuable. And when all the anger and depression passed, and I was looking back on that time as a divorce lawyer, and I was thinking, well, what you know what? What should I do now? What was of value from that time, and what's the right thing to do moving forward? I realized that I actually had a lot of freedom because there's something kind of magical about losing everything, which yeah. is that you're not attached to the stuff that you think you need to hold on to because yeah. it's gone. Mm-hmm. So like that past was just in the past, and I decided, you know, I'm gonna let it go. It's time to move on and do something new. And I thought, well, what was the thing that was the most valuable for me? The thing that I loved the most out of that entire process of being a divorce lawyer. And what it came down to was these conversations that I would have with my clients. These conversations where in order for them to get good legal services for me, they needed to tell me the truth. Mm. I mean, they needed to open up yes. <laughs> about the thing that they hadn't even really admitted to themselves mm. about what they had done in their relationship and it was a cathartic process for both of us i got to hear people being honest for the first time and these people got to say something that was crushing their identity that was was just weighing down on their soul in a way right that process gave so much freedom to everybody that um you know and then we would use it to go to court But I always, you know, which is sort of like defeating the purpose, but I always thought if only we could, you know, capture these conversations and use them for something that moved us forward as human beings, right? had us be more honest with ourselves and more engaged with our families. And so when I was looking back on it, I thought, well, wait a minute, I could just, I could just have those conversations and, and just record them. And that would be a podcast and I was blown and. A couple months later, I had a podcast.
1: That's awesome.
0: And now I've written a book. So there's a, you know, a little brand here called Together that's all about relationships and it all came out of that experience. Awesome, so what's the book that you wrote? Well, the book is is a collection of lessons that I gathered being a divorce lawyer and now having interviewed uh, nearly 200 couples about their relationships. lessons that i've gathered about what it really honestly no kidding in the real world takes to make a relationship work Mm. not guruism huckstery fake baloney but like really really what like people say do the work what is that or people say you got to communicate well what is that you know like just the real nitty-gritty stuff um and it's packaged with some stories about my own relationship and right lose that law firm and et cetera
1: well that's that's awesome now and you also have a magazine you said too right?
0: yeah, the magazine is an online magazine and it's a collection of essays from journalists about their personal revelations, mostly um we try to go for the more raw, more honest more um I would say possibly dramatic stories about relationship experiences that led to certain understandings. Um, So it's, it's journalists and real people, but anybody's had an experience that they want to convey where they really learned something about their themselves in the context of a relationship.
1: Right. So I'm, I'm gonna assume here. So when these couples were or individuals were like opening up, and going through this divorce process th- was this is like not even their partner
0: that right. they're
1: going through the divorce with had any idea that the, like that they felt this way or whatever was going on correct
0: yeah because the conversations would always start with just the facts you know the well okay did you cheat or you know did you take that money from that account and put it in the other account you know the just the kind of basic facts but you know the truth about those facts for us humans is that they're they're swimming in an ocean of of emotional experience. And you kind of can't understand the facts if you don't understand the context that mm-hmm. they reside within. And right. so as you start looking at the individual facts, you start finding all of this richer, deeper, more important context, which is, you know, really, it's the emotions that give rise to the actions. And so then people start to realize, Oh, my God, I was just terrified. And that's why I acted like a prick. And that's why I cheated or whatever.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it, but it's the truth. I mean, I'm because sh- one of the four pillars of my business is communicating effectively with both your partner and children. So I'm sure you know, viewers that are, that will most likely be catching the replay um, via audio or even live. I'm sure it, like when you say communication, yeah. So what are some of the things that you've seen as far as or how couples were not communicating? Well, <laughs> or how that, or the, how that kind of like played into what they should be doing in order to like function more effectively and maybe not have to get a divorce.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of the critical thing, right? Like if right. you get, maybe you don't need to get a divorce as a footnote to that. I do want to say I'm pretty agnostic as to whether people get a divorce or not. I really think it's okay to stay or okay to go as long as you do it consciously. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Mean, but that said, a lot of times the reason people are going is because they're acting out unresolved trauma. And when stuff is coming out of people's mouths, it's not so much communication as it is swords or shields, you know, ways to bash your partner or protect yourself from your partner. You know, it's subterfuge. It's not communication. Communication, in my view, is really doing your absolute utmost to convey your life experience to your partner. And um, that's a different animal than just talking at them. Uh, yes <laughs> right
1: yeah right because you can have a I mean you can have a conversation there like you said talking at them but like if you're not fully present and like mindful of what is coming out of your mouth and like how you are like portraying what you're trying to get across then it's gonna come off you know it could come off a completely different way than maybe you know the point that you're trying to get across right
0: totally yeah and I'm curious what how this Wraps into your pillar because yeah. my experience of communication is that um, what we're mostly doing is this sword or shield thing, yeah. uh, and that that's a an aspect of projecting onto our partners um, our our own trauma from the past. You know, it's right. not about what's happening in this moment; it's about this feeling that's rooted in this past behavior that's right. out right now in words, but it's actually not about being here in this moment right and being mindful of that fact is the only solution to it really you know I'd love right. it so that you can be present to oh wait this isn't really what I'm this is I don't need to communicate this I'm just spewing you know <laughs> and and being aware of that is where the control starts yeah. is that what you see too
1: yeah so i i guess you would call me i'm sort of like the catalyst for sort of like opening up that open communication to, uh, I guess like do the deeper work. Um, you know, if, if the individuals or in the relationship need it, because like my, my work, um, you know, I'm not, I'm focusing on the present, right? Like what can we do right now? to get you parenting on the same page, get you communicating more effectively where you're not constantly butting heads, like teaching, you know, child development and how, you know, children respond to, you know, and needing their, their parents to be on the same page, for example. But so like serving as a catalyst in the sense of, yes, like owning your energy and mindset right then and there. Right. Absolutely. But A lot of the times, I am advising. Okay, you know what? I think it would be really beneficial that you would see an outside therapist. I think it would it would support you, whether or not it's individually or if it's you know working with a family therapist. Because I'm not a licensed therapist. A lot of the, you know, like I guess I am kind of doing a lot of talk therapy, I guess if you will, with with my clients um, in person but it's not um we're not sitting there talking about you know past trauma or certain things that may have like happened in their life that may be causing them to act this way but we do discuss is old parenting styles so like if they were parented a certain way or you know a lot of the old school parenting you know my my thing is like i'm trying to break old school like break the cycle oh, break old school parenting where like you know, punitive and reprimanding is like the, the, you know, the thing to do. And now that just, it doesn't fly. It doesn't work. It, kids, social emotional development is so much more important for our livelihood in order to like function as an adult. And it starts young. It starts within like the first five years.
0: Right. That's fascinating <laughs> so, that trying to break the cycle. I mean, that's just, that's some of my favorite work right there. I, for me, it's yeah. always, I mean, I've always seen it as this extraordinary opportunity—not um, even an opportunity, a privilege. You know, we mm-hmm. each have, we each have our messed-up childhoods. I mean, none of us escaped. Yeah, thing I... about being human, right? Right. But, uh, and the reason that our parents, or you know, some people's parents, were worse than others, are right. that way, mm-hmm. is because of their own trauma from their own childhood. Right. So we have to have some compassion for them. Mm-hmm. And every generation has this this um, profound opportunity to say, whoa, the buck stops right here. This is it. I'm going to take responsibility for this behavior now and not pass it on to my children, even though you yeah. know you kind of can't avoid it to some degree. But breaking the right. cycle is amazing. And uh, tell me if you've seen this. Okay, so this is my last point about it. Is Oh, that- yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm loving this, trust me.
0: <laughs> I, but don't lose what you were going to say because it looked like it was going to no. be <laughs> It's so good, it's good. There's this um, phenomenon that I've noticed uh, when, when parents are, especially when they're particularly new parents, uh, mm-hmm. this instinct kicks in that says, oh my God, I, I am 100% responsible for this tiny being
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's life or death situation and I have to do it right. Like, I can't just mess around like I did in my 20s. I got to get this one right. And it's not even completely conscious realization always. Sometimes it is, Yeah, Yeah. but it's going on in the back of people's awareness and it's driving their behavior in this deep way. And the problem is that each parent has a different idea of what the best way to raise a kid in each given moment is. And so it creates this conflict, but it's not just conflict, like it was when you were first dating, where it's like, where do you want to go to dinner? Or I wish you would pick up. (laughs) Seriously. It's like, like, oh my God, I have to take care of this baby who could die if you don't do this right. And so it leads to these massive breakdowns in trust Ah. and communication because it's like, hey, I don't have time to deal with your stuff right now. I've got to take care of this baby. And while it is true that that baby is completely dependent upon you. Yeah. In that sense, it is life and death. The magnitude of the importance of your being the one who chooses the right way to do the thing in the moment is probably a little bit overblown. Don't you think?
1: Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> hugely. Well, I think it's it's our society too. There's such a stigma around you know, being the best parent or like doing the right thing. And there's so much judgment, um, you know, and I, and then there's the, and then there's the other piece of, let's also be real about like the mental health stigma. So it's like, God forbid, if a parent has a breakdown and they don't know what the hell to do and they're, they reach out for support or they don't know who to reach out to. And then they just deep d- dig themselves in an even deeper hole because they're not reaching out for the support because one, there's like this, again, the stigma of mental health, like, Oh my God, if I reach out to somebody, that means like I'm fucked up or I'm depressed or I, you know, I'm mental. And so that's a huge piece that I see too. Um, and I just, Oh, gosh. It, it's if it, I'm, I'm, I, every day I strive to try and break whatever it is. And obviously, you can only, you know, you can only work with one family at a time and, and trying to, you know, work on those crazy <laughs> things, I guess, if you will. Um, but yeah, it, I feel like there's so many pieces.
0: There but- are so many. And I will say, um, and the thing about those pieces is that you can't, see them all the time, right? I mean,
1: As parents No, they can't.
0: I like to use the analogy that you can't see the back of your head without a mirror. Right. And it's sort of the same thing in the unconscious emotional space. You know, the, the beliefs that are rooted in your yeah. old, old identity that yes. are driving your daily behavior. You know, it, I mean, we're just not trained to see those things. You need a pro. Yeah,
1: Whether I agree. I agree.
0: hundred 100- Therapist, I, it doesn't really even matter. You just need to do it,
1: right? No, I I agree, and I, you know, as as far as like you know, I've I've obviously you know, being an undergrad psychology, um, you know, I've always been a people person. I feel like my you know instincts, and especially when it comes to kids, I actually make jokes with a lot of my my child clients all the time. I'm like, I have eyes in the back of my head. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They have no idea, but, um, but I've, I've gotten, I've gotten the help. I've seen therapists, you know, I've, I've done the work. Like I've, I've worked through my own shit and I've, I've gotten the sport support that I've needed. And I've learned all of the facets of, of being able to like be in a healthy, happy relationship. And then in order to serve a family. In order to like raise children, Um, and I I think for me, luckily, I it's I was given a gift. It's very instinctual to me, Um, but it's not that way for all parents, and that's okay. And that's the other piece of like this stigma is that you're automatically supposed to you know get it or you know, that it's supposed to come that natural. And I hear from moms all the time that it doesn't come that natural and that's okay. But you made the decision to have a child. So like, let's figure it out. Do what you have to do to get the support.
0: It is now your duty to figure it out. And you, you, you're not expected to be perfect at the beginning. No. And these kids are resilient. That's the, you know, the truth is really Mm -hmm. going to be fine. If you love them, we we all know that. Right. And this is something we see in the divorce context, too, that, um, you know, the measure of how well kids of divorce do as adults is the degree to which their parents are able to get along with one another post-divorce. And they don't have to be best friends. They don't have to be going to dinner every night. They don't have to be married, obviously. But they've got to be able to get along as human beings, as co-parents. And if they can do that, the kids are going to be fine. Which is, hey, kids... You know, kids are strong, you know, humans are capable, they're going to be okay, Yes, but it is your duty to try to do your best. And that's, um, and that's where the work comes in. Now, tell me if you've noticed this too. So I've seen that um, what's happening in culture is that people are becoming more and more willing to do that kind of work. I've seen uh, when I first started advocating for this, people would, as you said, can be worried that if they were going to therapy, that meant something was wrong with them. Right. I've seen people get very proactive and do courses, personal development workshops, go to marital counseling. It's becoming a thing.
1: No, I, I, I will agree. I mean, I've, I've even, you know, I've had friends that have, have gone through struggles in their marriage and they've, They've got, you know, they've gotten that support. They've they've had support from me in in working, you know, with their children and kind of helping them like come together as a family. Um, I, I mean, it's obviously much better than it was probably even five years ago. I I will I will agree with that. But what I see, and you might be able to attest to this too, is. Um, a lot of times, like, I'll, I'll have um, parents reach out to me, and most often it's the moms, of course, unless it's single dads. Um, and a lot of the times, if they're struggling not parenting on the same page and have different, like, disciplinary, um, you know, parenting styles, it's most often the fathers that don't want to um, sort of invest in, in the support or feel that it's that big of a deal um, to get that support, which I know can be frustrating for the wife or, you know, and the mom to, um, But I, I mean, that, I feel like that's, that's been a trend for quite a while now. Um, but I mean, yeah. it, it's just part of the process, I think, in, in terms of just like the relationship as a whole and not like trying to like work together or trying to get that support, like as a team without even seeking support for your children, I guess.
0: I, I'll say two things about that father-mother kind of dichotomy. Um, mm-hmm. One is that I'm lucky I live in a bubble in San Francisco and, uh you know, dad's here pretty emotionally intelligent and communicative. So I, I see that a lot here. Good. And, but but the second thing, and it kind of comes from the first, is that I don't have a lot of truck with this idea that men or women are more capable biologically of being emotionally intelligent or wow. emotionally capable. I, I get why we say that because right. I culturally for I, I'm not going to speculate on how long it's been in Western society, but, right. you know, Men have been the doers and women have been the feelers by Mm -hmm. Um, better or worse. I just don't think it has to be that way. I think we can all borrow from one another's cultural proclivities. And, and, you know, um, again, back to this notion of the sacred duty of parenting, you know, it's our duty as parents to understand the emotional experience of our children, right? That's how we relate to them. That's it, what being family is. It is. <laughs> we we are emotional creatures. You know, there are mm-hmm. facts to life and, mm-hmm. and it all swims in this universe of emotion. That's that's right. how we relate. That's how we know what we know. And for that reason alone it's our duty to to get tuned into it.
1: Right. No, I agree. And then that's why like social emotional development for me is like I mean that's the backbone pretty much of my business, of the work that I do, because that, I mean, you see and hear all the time too, that parents are so worried about academics when their children are, you know, not, not able to like communicate, you know, I'm frustrated or I'm mad and they're throwing tantrums at like eight years old or 10 years old even. (laughs) Um, so it's true. The, The social emotional piece of it is so huge, but I think, if it's not something that as an individual the parent is not super in tune with, I think it makes it difficult. Are we paused here? Hold on. We just have a technical difficulty.
0: We'll. Hello. Hi, you back? Got it. Sorry, I don't know what happened there.
1: Oh, it's okay. Hey, it's technology.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, I think I lost track of where we were.
1: Oh, yeah. So I was just saying about um, children's social emotional development and Uh how, like, when it comes to academics, parents get so hyper-focused about their children doing well in school, but then – They, you know, at eight, 10 years old, they're having tantrums and they're, they're unable to like communicate, you know, I'm frustrated or I'm mad or be able to like take space and have like a functional conversation with either, you know, their parents or even a sibling or even a child their age. And I think it just comes right back to. If the parent is um, not as strong, I guess, guess in the emotional arena, which you know again is okay. That's why there's support out there to to, to strengthen that. Then there's going to be this disconnect, and I think that's I, I see a lot of that um, as well. You know, the frustration, like the yelling, you know, parent in sort of like having that power struggle. When I mean, it, it's it's a child. There, there, there's no need to have a power struggle with your child. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You, you know, that's a really good point. There's no need to have a power struggle with your kid. And and I think it's a huge red flag for a parent if they're having that emotional experience of a power struggle. If, in my view, if a parent is having that experience, um, it's an opportunity for them to take responsibility. Right. Because, you know, that kid doesn't even have a fully formed frontal lobe. They
1: don't until, until like
0: 25. 25.
1: Yeah, 25, I was just going to say 23, but yeah, like 25, see, yep.
0: It, you know, these are not I mean they're fully conscious. these are sentient and sapient beings. They're entitled right. to individual rights. We have to love them and adore them, but they're not fully formed. you know you've you, yeah. it's your job to train them in that emotional in in um, effective communication and emotional dynamics, right. not to lay that that responsibility on them. Mm-hmm. and um, and you know i I think it's I think it's an opportunity anytime we're experiencing a trigger. To take responsibility, you know, and to look inward, to find why we're triggered, to learn something about ourselves, but more so than anywhere else with our kids.
1: Right. Because that's when you I feel like that's when a lot of um, individuals start to see it is through because it's a totally different dynamic in their relationship before yeah. before you have children there, there's it, things have completely shifted yeah. so that's when things really start to um come up and you know you, things just start to happen and children just uh, they're they're going to test your test you that that's they what they're do supposed well. to <laughs> they test it's it's in, it's in their nature it's not <laughs> you're never going to get away from that ever <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's totally inescapable. You know, well, um, you know, along those lines, so we're kind of you and I are making this point that, um, you know, parents have to be the responsible party and they have to be the one who, um, you know, takes the role of of teaching and developing emotional intelligence in their kids, et cetera, and all that's true. Um, but I've had parents on my show who uh, I found beating themselves up for their momentary lapses. Oh yeah. And uh, I, you know, I have a strong opinion about that too. You know, on one hand, the parent is the adult and needs to act like the adult. Yeah. On the other hand, they're also human. You know, we're going to have those moments where we don't behave as we should. Right. And, and if we, you know, beat ourselves up for that, then we can't, behave properly in the next moment.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: so, you know, just as it's a duty to do your best in each moment, you've got to forgive yourself for the lapses too. Right. Um, that's a tough, that's a tough proposition for some people.
1: Uh, no, I agree. And, and I try and encourage my families too. like when they're in that moment or they've realized that they made a bad decision to communicate that, like, say, you know what? I, I'm, I screwed up. Like I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have done that. You know, I, I made a mistake. I'm going to try harder next time. And, and just like owning it and letting your children know yeah. that, you know, that you made a mistake and that it's okay because then you're modeling for them too to be able to, you know, for them to communicate that when they're having a hard time. And then, you know, you're, you're in in essence teaching them how to like be fully emotionally available.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I had, um, do you know, Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson? Do you happen to know those two? They're, uh, no,
1: Ellen, that name, Ellen Bader sounds familiar, but
0: they're both, uh, they're a couple, they're a married couple okay. and they're also, um, pretty famous marriage therapists. Uh and they train yeah. uh Peter Pearson trains other marriage therapists. Or no, no, I have it backwards. Um Ellen trains other therapists mostly. Mm-hmm. And Peter does courses for couples mostly. And then they also oh, okay. um anyway, they're very well known and they have their own um school of marriage therapy basically. And awesome. um, and I was I had them on the show in the early days and um, I was I was asking them how they deal with conflict, like fighting, flat out fighting. How do they deal with fighting in their relationship? And mm-hmm. they were telling this hilarious story about how one day Peter said that he hated Ellen and you know what she did with that. <laughs> and you know, they were making the point that every, you know, you're gonna hate your partner sometimes. <laughs> Don't get over right. it. Like it's just, it's just normal. Yeah. Um, but I said, Well, but how do you deal with that in front of your kids? And they were like, We just have the fight. And I said, but, but do you, for them, it was a no brainer. I'm like, but wait a minute, do you, do you like go to the other room so that you can insulate them from it or whatever? And and they said, you know, we do our best not to be inappropriate in front of the kids, but learning how to manage conflict is a skill because it's not as if conflict doesn't exist. And so if you, one of the the least healthy marriage dynamics is one where people pretend there's no conflict and then Uh 20 years later there's this massive divorce because they never dealt with any of their issues
1: exactly yeah
0: same thing with parenting or having conflict with your partner in in front of the kids like you've just got to go ahead and do it and show them how to manage it like show them how to work through a real no kidding conflict because it's a training ground for them
1: yeah and i think too like on that note I think there's like different ways, I guess, of fighting. Like you can have a, you know, I don't want to use the word healthy, but I guess essentially that's what I mean. Like you can have a healthy fight and be like arguing, but not like screaming or like swearing at each other, for example. Um, And having like this like brutal argument, I guess, if you will. Um, So I think there's there's definitely a difference. But I mean, I just through experience and seeing like, and again, every child is different, obviously. um, And it can be the slightest experience for a child where it's where it ends up being traumatic, you know, it holds in the amygdala, and then it sticks with them. And then other things that could trigger it that aren't necessarily fighting, um, you know, ends up being something that they struggle with until they actually like figure out how to, how to work through it. Um, But yeah, it's interesting because for me actually personally, fighting is a huge trigger for me. Like I, I I cannot, I I think that there's a, a, a healthy balance with fighting in terms of like swearing or like freaking the hell out at each other and having an argument and actually like being upset with your partner and having that, you know, communication off balance, I guess, if you will.
0: Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I think about that a lot. I, I also am a conflict avoider by nature. I, I don't like it. I try to um, avoid it whenever I can. And my fiance is not my, my fiance is a conflict. Um, I don't know what the academic term would be for her to <laughs> conflict. Like it's, it's yeah. how she, it's how she knows the boundaries of her reality in a way. Right. Uh, and when something's scary to her, she's going to confront it, which I admire right. immensely.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, in our relationship dynamic, it started off with her wanting to have it out and me wanting to pretend there wasn't a problem. Right. And, and then I would shut down, which would cause her to become more aggressive because she wanted to have engagement with me and we'd probably oh. shut down. <laughs> you know, you've probably seen this a million times because it's a classic thing. Yes. Um, and we both had to really learn how to be with each other's style in conflict and right the lesson for me was to learn to turn and face her and that's had a great impact i think in the rest of my life being able right. to, to turn towards conflict when it's pro- when it's appropriate right and i just had to learn how to hold it hold back from engaging um to right. give me the space i need to process a little bit um but that's an example so that's an example i think of what a healthy way, as you were saying, of right. engaging with conflict. But I also want to say, you know, and Peter and Ellen said this too if it's a fight, by definition, if it's a fight, it's not um, pretty. You know, it's kind of like, yes, yeah. Sometime, like, yes, we should work to have the skill set to manage that conflict and to be communicative and appropriate and not terrible with each other. For sure. We should do that. Right. And at times, you know, we're going to go off the rails. Right. And it looks different for everybody. You know, there's some people where going off the rails means they like walk into a different room, right. You know?
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well,
0: it's yelling and screaming. And, and I, I, with that too, I really feel like we've got to yes, work to avoid it. But when it happens, you know, forgive ourselves for it and then come back together and reconnect. And, right. and so often I think the measure of a powerful, effective relationship is in that reconnecting moment. Mm-hmm. And that's another lesson for the kids. Yes. Because, you, know? you know, mommy and daddy are not proud of the things they said to each that's- other during that fight. But we, re- we, we can reconnect. It's possible to do.
1: Right. And, and, and I, and that's the important piece is being able to say that to your children. And so, and like, you know, model that for them, you show them that, okay, mom and dad had a fight, but you know, they're now loving again, like they've worked through it or you, and, and you communicate it to them again, that like you were, you, you talked it out and it was a moment and, and that's it. You know, you don't have to make it like this huge big deal.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't have to have it be the end of the relationship, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Oh man. It's a funny puzzle because ending relationships happens, you know, sometimes like we yes. talked in the beginning, sometimes you've got to end a relationship and that's fine. But what I've seen over and over is that, um, you know, if you're ending the relationship in the midst of a conflict, it's by definition unresolved. You know, you're leaving something yeah. behind. A piece of you is being incomplete. And, you know, I, I, it's not to say the relation shouldn't end. Maybe the thing that happened that caused the fight was a good indication that the relationship should end. But there is a way to process what happened such that you leave the relationship whole and intact as a human. Right. Move on to the next one powerfully. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know. No, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think there's, I think, it, I think just many individuals, unless they sort of are consciously aware or have like gotten that support, it, don't really know how to do that. And I think that's where it ends up transmuting into other relationships or why the divorce happens in the first place or why it you know the, the 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 fights you know lead up to you know whatever it is or they stay married for 10 years and it's miserable you know I I think it I mean obviously again every relationship is going to be different but yeah I'm curious like did you see aside from maybe I guess like the cheating or, like, or like hoarding money from each other or something like, did you see a common commonality across?
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And
1: what was it? Uh,
0: well, I saw a few patterns one. And I think this might be the one you're, you were feeling your way towards or thinking about is that uh, usually people have their excuses for the divorce. They say it's about money or sex or right. time or children raising or whatever, but Usually the excuse is not the thing. Usually what's going on is one or both parties are scapegoating the other for their own unresolved issues. Right. That's mostly what's going on in the conflict that leads to divorce. Um, Not all the time, but most of the time. And the opportunity in every single one of those is to get clear and present on your own issues, your own traumas and triggers, so that sure, if you leave the relationship, fine, do it, but move into the next one powerfully, right? So that's the that was the number one pattern I saw, and sort of playing on that pattern, I saw a lot of people have very very healthy second marriages. Um, oh yeah, I studied sure. a lot of my clients, and I did prenups for a lot of their second marriages, and over and over i saw that if they moved through the first one powerfully in an emotionally yeah. intelligent way did the work went to therapy gave themselves some time to heal afterwards you know the basics right the second marriage is better because you're not going in with so much um fantasy un- unrealistic fantasy right. you're going in much more honestly and pragmatically
1: right um, And, and, and you probably, you know, next time around, like what to do different and what not to do or how to work through it or, you know, what you need to do in order to make it work.
0: Yeah. And when you say I do, I think people have a better understanding of what that means. Right. You know, like, what does it mean to say I do, but what does it mean, as you said, right. To work through it? Because you know that you, you, your first marriage at whatever age you are, you've got this kind of fairy book fantasy this fairy tale fantasy of what marriage is supposed to be like and right you know even if you know logically that everything's not going to be perfect you still kind of think everything's going to be perfect
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you you don't you don't predict the uh you know just the the shit that can come at you and not even really knowing because life is unpredictable it, it's constantly up and downs things happen with you know your significant other's family. I mean, all kinds of things can can be thrown your way,
0: and sometimes
1: yeah. it completely gets in the way, and and you don't know how to work get through it. I guess, and it, it kind of consumes
0: you, if you will. Yeah, it, it does. And I, I, I think I've probably already said this a couple of times, so forgive me if I'm beating this horse well, to death. But I, I, you know, every time those challenges arise, they strike me as that the only way that we really can create intimacy with our partners is to work through those challenges you know yeah. intimacy that comes from luck of being value aligned or something is good right but not it doesn't have that rooted depth that of intimacy that comes from having worked through challenges You know, and the only way to get that level of connection with your partner is to work through those suckers. Um, I agree. (laughs) You know, and that's, if nothing else, that's lesson for the kids. Uh, Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think Mm -hmm. I just have this like vision and, you know, one of my, (laughs) one of my quotes, um. I forget cuz I have like a few taglines whether or not it's my website or um is of course now I'm going to draw a total um oh happy families don't only happy families don't just exist on sitcoms <laughs> <laughs> No, and in, in the sense that like <laughs> you can have like you can be madly in love and like be happy with your partner and have like you know children that don't tantrum and have children that are, you know, social, emotionally, you know, up to par developmentally where they're supposed to be, you know, age appropriate. Um, Yeah. Are you going to have your moments? Uh, You know, absolutely. But I do strongly feel that the more conscious we are, I I think as a whole, and and we we take responsibility um, for the role that we decide to take, on as as parents, i I strongly believe that we can have more of these happier, healthy, thriving families that in essence is gonna create more happy, healthy, independent, strong, successful
0: children, our future leaders of the world. Right. Have you seen the data that's been coming out on this lately, by the way?
1: I you know, I, it's funny. And I don't pay huge attention to data. Um, and you know, I, I think it's because I was in ABA applied behavioral analysis as a behaviorist. Um, I don't know if you're familiar much with it, mostly children with autism, but, um, so I think I I got kind of like sucked out of like data because it was so data driven. And like, for me,
0: it it didn't
1: work. (laughs) Well, it just that type of therapy for children with autism just didn't, it didn't work with what I've seen and what I've done in working with the population. Oh, yeah. So anyways, but yeah, no, I would love to hear what, what, what is the new trending data?
0: Well, uh, I just think it's kind of funny. I was reading an article in The Economist about, um, it was summarizing some of the data on child behavior um, yeah. in the millennial generation. Yeah, Basically what it was saying is that more kids than ever are reporting that they feel comfortable speaking about their emotions with their fathers.
1: Yay. And
0: uh, more parent, more children than ever uh, talk about having strong, healthy relationships with their mothers. <sighs> and, um, and more kids than ever are um, going to college, uh, less interested in doing drugs, and less interested in staying out late at night. And Good. the researcher who was like kind of collecting all of this data said, you know, they're just kind of boring.
1: I, <laughs> I've done... <laughs> So good. I it's funny. No, I have done some research because um technology has sort of played kind of um a role in my business as well. I, I created a digital toddler boot camp course um for like the early early years, zero to four, and like how it affects children's development. And I've actually been working on a course for older kids, but it's true they actually said because kids and this might be completely separate but because kids are so much more on their phones and sort of like sucked in um yeah they're not like they're not going out as much they're not dating they're not having like promiscuous sex or you know pregnancy is lower you know they're just they're just not getting out like they're not it's not the same like when i was growing up We'd go to the mall and, you know, like we'd get, it's just not, kids don't do that anymore. They're like, they'd rather be stuck on their phones, having a conversation than in person.
0: That's interesting. That's a different take on the same um, results than I would have thought, but yours probably more sense. It's, I I like to think it's about having good communication with fathers. That means kids are doing less drugs, but uh, maybe it's just, they're on their phones. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, I think it's I mean again it it's it has to be they're they're two different, obviously statistics, I'm sure, but we are definitely and I've felt it just through travel like lately and just being in the work that I'm doing and I'm sure you probably are seeing seeing it too now that you're like on the other spectrum, I guess if you will, from the divorce and now working with um you know couples that we definitely are in a better space than we were years ago. Like there is, we are consciously trying to strive better and sort of, um, but then you also hear like parents making jokes about, oh, well, you know, you have to get an accolade for doing this and you need an award yeah. for this and, you know, giving praise and it's, <laughs> it's just so funny. You're I mean, always gonna have some that are.
0: <laughs> yeah, There's like, it's like, where do we walk that? How do How do we walk that line? Because, right. Um, I mean, there's there's on one hand, you hear that millennials are more emotionally intelligent and communicative with their and, and willing to express their feelings. That sounds mm. good. Yeah. You hear that um, millennials and younger kids are um, uh, entitled and coddled and unwilling right. to do the quote unquote work. Right. You know, I I get that there's certainly concern about coddling our children it's gonna result in them not having the backbone that we want them to have. Right. Um, but golly jeepers, <laughs> there's a way to walk this line. Like,
1: No, no, I totally agree. I, I think there should be, I'm seeing so many entrepreneurs at like 20, 21, 25, and they are crushing it. Crushing. They are crushing it. Yes. And I think that is freaking amazing. And that that's yeah. what I want to instill in the families that I work. Why, why would you not want your child to, be, to, to grow up and be uberly successful? Right. And that, and crushing it at 21 years old, that your level of confidence is extreme. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we are walking that line pretty well. You know, people yeah. made fun of, I'm a Gen Xer. People said that we were, uh, lay about do nothings when we were in our twenties, um, you know but we matured into <laughs> adults and we got to business and we you know right they okay, so built the internet so yeah. <laughs> uh you know that everybody grows through there
1: <laughs> yeah they go right lessons. every generation is going to have have its own uh you know things that they're <laughs> need to work on or you know doing better at than the generation before
0: right But all that said, I do think there is value to letting people deal with their conflict. Like, just let them have their conflict. Let them swim in it and mess with it and deal with it. And don't let them drown, but let them have it because there's so much to be learned from it.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. It, you, to be able to come out on the other side and like be and feel more whole, I guess, if you will, is such a, um, fulfilling and like enlightening experience yeah amen it's just yeah it's just i just think it's so amazing and i i pray that so many more families or individuals can like get to that that mental space to be able to like accept that you know and not be worrying about society and what other people are saying and just like worry about their own shit and what they have to do to make their lives better. It's all about quality of life.
0: Yes. You know, speaking of quality of life, there's a last thing I was thinking about from my time as a divorce lawyer that I, that I just realized I wanted to mention, which is, um, you know, I saw so many parents having great dating lives after divorce. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that because, One of the concerns that parents would always have when they came into my divorce office was this idea like, oh my God, it's over. I know. (laughs) I I don't know how to date and I I have this kid and all these responsibilities and what am I going to do? And I get it. I totally get it. Of course, you should be concerned about that. But let me just tell you, I've seen it a thousand times. Mm -hmm. You're going to be fine. Because once you set up a co-parenting relationship with the other parent, what that ends up meaning is that you've got 50% as a parent, well assume, assuming you do 50-50. Right. 50% of the time as a parent and 50% of the time as a single person. Yes, to date. It's the best of both worlds. You know, once you integrate that lifestyle, it's really nice.
1: It's true. I've seen it. I've seen it a lot and it, it's true. They de- it's it's definitely a different lifestyle than it than it would be obviously married, but you know, again, different if you're not thriving in your
0: marriage. Right. <laughs> right. Right it's gotta be better than that <laughs> yeah.
1: let's hope let's hope so right <laughs> absolutely so I would love to know too like what if if you ha if you could just from like your experience like- again like in both worlds like what if you could say or give like one thing of advice as far as like you know, to, to be more successful in your relationships. Um, like what, what would you say? Like, what do you, what do you think is the biggest or the one that you should sort of like tackle first?
0: You know, there's so many pieces, (laughs) so many pieces. There's so many talking points. There's so many skills and tools that we can all learn, but without question, number one, the most important thing is what I've been echoing throughout this whole conversation. Um, Take responsibility for your own emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And um, if this is something you've heard before, take it as an opportunity to sing one of your favorite songs that you know well. If it's something you've never heard before, really explore this possibility. There is no truth greater than the simple fact that you are responsible for your experience. Your experience is yours. My feelings are mine. Your feelings are yours. Yes. And we have a dynamic. We have an interaction. Mm -hmm. We have a, a commonality. We have a entity that lives between us. Yes. All that's true, but my experience is mine. And the most powerful place to be in a relationship is that place where you know what your experience is. And you take ownership over it because mm-hmm. that's how you can fully invest yourself in your partner. Once you know where that boundary line is, it's a number one thing. And if you have to go to therapy to get there, so be it. Therapy is great. Right.
1: It's yeah. It Therapy is not, let's say it's a, to everyone that, that that's that's watching or is going to be watching. Therapy is actually an amazing tool because it helps you break through those barriers and be able to, like set those healthy boundaries and expectations that you need for yourself to be able to bring in to your relationships whether or not it's your significant other, your children, friendships, family, I mean everything. It it is so transforming to be able to be in that in that space of empowerment.
0: You know, and the thing I'll say about therapy is that it it in my view it almost doesn't matter what style of personal development work. Right engaged in, you know, it could be coaching, it could yeah. be a personal development course, right? E therapy, mm-hmm. um, it could be any style of therapy, right? Um, it could be spiritual practice. Yes, view, it really, what, what matters is this that moment of pure self awareness, that's mm-hmm. where the essence of this personal development work is, right? And it, the one thing about it is you probably can't get it with a friend. That maybe be, would be the one caveat. Like doing personal development right. with a friend, the friend dynamic is a different kind of thing. Right. You know, that your friends are not calculated and calibrated to have you see your trauma as a mechanism for growth. Yeah. You know, that's not absolutely. their role. No, um,
1: absolutely not.
0: Their role is to agree with you. And, <laughs> you know, it's a whole different well, thing.
1: It's a support, right? right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, personal development work, that's on yourself. That's the yes. place to start. That is the place to start. And then there's a million tools after that.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, and I always say too, you can't pour from an empty cup. So if you are, if you do not feel whole and, or, or there's things that you that you need to work on, you're gonna, it's, it's gonna be a, a struggle in your relationship. Nine times out of 10.
0: And we've all got it. You know, we've all right. got those, those incompletions and right. each one of them is an opportunity for all of us. I mean, absolutely. why the heck else are we even here, by the way? <laughs> I mean, we're just going to die. I mean, we're just going to die, right? Like in right. the end, yeah. We take any of this with us. So what are we here for? If not self-actualization, right? Why wouldn't you do that work?
1: I, yeah, no, I agree. And I, I encourage any, any and everyone to, to, to do it. (laughs) It will change your life. (laughs) Yeah. I think we're coming up on uh, almost an hour. I have a feeling that the uh, broadcast is going to cut us off. So I think I'm going to close us out. So I will say goodbye. Thank you. So like, I so enjoyed having this conversation with you and, I cannot wait to hear the feedback of um, many viewers that are going to tune in and, and listen to this, to this episode. I, I think it's going to be super life-changing for many, honestly. I, I oh, truly feel that. <laughs> Thanks
0: think so. I, you're a delight to talk to, so you can <laughs> come on my show sometime.
1: That would be fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Eric. It was such a pleasure having you on.
0: All right, Amanda. Talk soon. Bye.
1: Right, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to Parenting with a Punch show this evening. I look forward to seeing you next week. I believe 12 p.m. with um, a speech therapist that is located down south. So have a good evening, everybody. Parentingwithapunch.com if you'd like to learn more about my services. And you will see the broadcast um, available on Stitcher and iTunes hopefully later this evening. Thanks, y'all. Have a good night. Bye.